0: Hello and welcome to Mind Ki Baat, a podcast where we discuss the part that really matters, your mind, or specifically, mental health. I am your neurodivergent host, Shardul, and this is the final episode of the first season. And today we will talk about autism, or autism spectrum.
1: Approximately one child in every hundred is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Well, I've come out to, as autistic have said, I'm so sorry I'm old I'm new I'm pretend that you are too I feel like a boy in outer space I touch the stars and feel out of place Where it sounds
2: like I've just told them I have a terminal disease Pagal hai you know Oh pagal you know it was not a very uh, encouraging uh glance which one would get from the society I wanted to stop thinking I thought that I was an alien I thought that I was a weirdo I thought that I was messed up look at people like Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla Michelangelo was probably autistic what enabled these individuals to do something good like
1: great art or invent all kinds of things I hope that somebody someday I do I'm odd I'm new
2: This is a News Laundry Podcast, and you're listening to Mind Kiba. To
0: talk about autism, I have two guests with a long and exceptional list of achievements. So our first guest in is in the studio with us, uh, Mary Barua. She's the founder and director of Action for Autism. She's also an activist and a specific needs educator who pioneered the autism movement in India. She's parent to Neeraj and... He is on autism spectrum, and she has over two decades of experience in working with individuals on autism spectrum, ranging from functionally significantly affected to the very able ones, and sometimes the old kamajan ones like me. She works with people to empower them, trains professionals and parents, advocates and lobbies for the rights of people with ASD. So autism and ASD are interchangeable terms. So please be mindful. If I say ASD or autism, they mean the same thing. She also writes, uh, sensitizes and counsels people. She also started the first specialist school for autism, helped start the first training for teachers and has conducted workshops all over the world. The organization she founded, Action for Autism, works with, but not limited to, individuals with social and communication challenges. And she has received national and international recognition for her work. So with that, welcome to News Laundry, Mary. Thank you. And. Our second guest is Anindita Kundu. They are a queer neurodivergent psychotherapist who have ADHD and are on the spectrum. Incidentally, I think this is the second episode where all the people on the podcast are related to the issue we are discussing. This happened with ADHD also. So Anindita is a certified trauma therapist from the Trauma Research Foundation in Boston, Massachusetts, a certified integral somatic therapist from the Embody Lab in US and a certified queer affirmative psychotherapist. Anindita works largely with people who navigate various forms of uh, systemic oppression based on gender, sexuality, and political or social justice. People with trauma, disabilities, neurodivergence, and chronic pain. And when not working, Anindita likes to spend time with dogs. So, Anindita, can I say that dogs are your special interest?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. They, they are a very integral part of my life. So, yeah.
0: So for the listeners, almost every neurodivergent person and especially people on autism spectrum have one or more special interests which they are crazy about, but generally are not professionals of. It's a strange thing, but if you learn about us, you'll find out. Before we begin our conversation, here are a few things you should know about autism. A brief book definition says Autism Spectrum Disorders or ASD are a collection of disorders defined by issues such as but not limited to social interaction, communication difficulties and learning disabilities. However, recognizing autism isn't easy but the number of people being diagnosed with ASD is on the rise. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the cases are going up. I say that because the tools of diagnosis for autism in India and in fact all over the world have major shortcomings, which has left a lot of people behind who sometimes get diagnosed later in life or never do. If we look at the official statistics according to Neurology India, 1 in 100 children less than age of 10 have autism to some degree. Around 10% school-going children present autism-related learning difficulties. But these are just statistics. There are a couple more things you should know before I go to our guests. First one is autism is not an illness or a disease. What I mean by that is um, it is not a condition which needs a cure or a treatment. No matter how many people you see online claiming they can cure it, they are frauds. Second thing, people with autism are no lesser than quote normal people. So but remember quote unquote normal. What you see, we are no less than that. We experience and absorb the world uh, through a different lens, which regular systems are not designed for and where the struggle is rooted in. So what I'm trying to say is we are no lesser, we're just different. So I would like to begin with Anindita. Anindita, getting a diagnosis for autism is quite difficult in India and all over the world, in fact. Yeah. So before we you know, get, delve into different aspects of uh, being an autistic person, please tell us how you got your own diagnosis. Because as I said, it's it's quite difficult.
1: I think before I share about my personal experience, I do want to acknowledge that uh, getting the diagnosis of autism is very, very difficult all over the world, especially for people who are not cis het male. I do want to acknowledge that because the diagnostic criteria, they don't have the varied experiences that people have on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So when we don't see that, we are, we are only checking a list. And that generally takes away from the human experiences that all autistic people have, which are varied in nature. Mm. And which is why we don't get our diagnosis in time, which is why we don't get our diagnosis when we were younger. And I'm an adult who got diagnosed with autism. I got my diagnosis when I was 30 with the social difficulties trying to fit in, quote-unquote fit in. But the, the, the part that kept coming up even after my diagnosis, the part that kept missing was there's this understanding that autistic people are not empathetic. Right. I would keep hearing, but you are so empathetic. How are you autistic? But that, that isn't true, right? We all have varied experiences, just how in non-autistic people, empathy levels differ. Similarly, in autistic people, empathy levels differ. Hmm. Certain aspects are certain things that we can be empathetic towards, while others may not be empathetic towards the same things that I'm empathetic towards. Right? About my personal diagnostic journey, It's actually a little funny because I never thought I was autistic, even though I knew what my struggles were. And even though I am a psychotherapist, I never thought I was autistic because of the diagnostic criteria that we are taught. Hmm. And that book, DSM, it really, really fails you when it comes to autism diagnosis. So it started with uh, me, thinking that my partner is probably on the spectrum head man. <laughs> so I kept telling him that oh you know I think we should go for a diagnosis and he was struggling very uh, my struggles were more internal mm-hmm. and he was struggling very overtly mm. so he was also like yeah yeah definitely we can look into a diagnosis and all of that and <laughs> very bad representation of autism but there is this TV show called Atypical. I was watching that TV show. Not an not a good uh, representation but I told him that, hey, you know, I think this, this person is a lot like you. And he started watching it and he's like, more than me, he, he feels a lot like you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. I never thought of it, even though that was very relatable for me. That part of... Uh, the, the, the idea that I could be autistic, that was just taking a back seat. I never allowed myself to think on those lines. Mm. And then we were like, okay, fine. I was sitting, I, that time I was working in a school and I was sitting with a teenager who is autistic and has ADHD. And I was talking to him about his experiences. And in that moment, I felt he was speaking my mind all his struggles, all his experiences, everything was so familiar for me that I came back and I told my partner that, hey, listen, I think if you want to go for the diagnosis, I would also like to just get it done. Like it was a casual thing, right? We never still, for me to believe and accept that, oh, you know, I could be on the spectrum was not something that took a very, uh, like it didn't take a significant space in my heads, head in my head space yeah. right? so I went we started with the diagnosis and my partner was like why do you want to get diagnosed and, and I was like uh, we'll just test it out if it's true or not <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said that we'll just test it out if it's true or not and when we went for the diagnosis with Dr. Nidhi in action for autism because we had uh, my experience with Dr. Nidhi was so holistic so I do want to put that out there, that my experience with Action for Autism and my experience for, with Dr. Nidhi was very holistic. She took her time to sift through the amount of trauma that I had undergone and what parts of me were masking and what weren't. Funnily, it came out that I'm autistic and my partner has ADHD. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he has social difficulties, but uh, it came out that I, I am autistic and uh, i think for me that even after the diagnosis to come to terms with that idea that i have an identity which even now there are moments that i think that am i really autistic is it true like listen to all the <laughs> uh, all the spaces and all the articles that you read and all the books that you read and all the spaces where there are there's autistic representation it doesn't feel like me and then i'm like then i go back to all the struggles and all that is written in my report and all the things that i could speak of mm-hmm. so yeah like that was my diagnostic journey it wasn't easy but it happened when i was i was 30 and i think getting that diagnosis was like the missing part of the puzzle for me because i wasn't able to figure out what is it what is it that that i'm not able to point my finger at
0: so uh, before I ask Mary to pitch in, two things I want to mention. Anindita mentioned that like, people when they get diagnosis of autism, they almost always feel like there was something missing in their identity and they finally found it. So this is common. What is not common is what she mentioned earlier. The social confusion. This social confusion is almost always part of an autistic experience, but everybody would have it in a different manner. Like Some people would... Wouldn't, like, let me be honest i w- i'm never able to tell if i am being perceived well or not so mm-hmm. you're always apologetic but some people almost always are sure of it and but are still on the spectrum so this social confusion not not being able to understand is common but how it translates into our lives or in our behavior is very different now yeah. m- mary I, I wanted to ask you on diagnosis phase, that you have been first you have dealt with your own son's uh diagnosis and when you would have find, found out that was almost 30 years ago. Mm, yeah. Over the time and Anindita's experience and mine were fortunately quite good. Mm. But most of the people I encounter, I meet or I talk to who are on the spectrum or who think they are on the spectrum, they talk about that how people in medical fraternity or psychiatrists treat them in a very derisive way. Yeah. So first, if you can address that, that how have things changed in your opinion? in your personal experience and in with au- action for autism once you started it? Or have they changed at all?
2: Right. So in terms of diagnosis, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when my son got a diagnosis, that was more than 30 years ago. Yes. Right. And um, there were very few people who even knew the word autism in those mm. days. So it was really hard for me to get a diagnosis, even though he fit the typical... Uh, description and canner of, mm-hmm. you know, flapping, um, mercurial eye contact and mm-hmm. all of that, non-speaking. Uh, because people didn't, because they, you know, he looked like every other kid. Yeah. So obviously when you don't know, and autism is an invisible condition. So um, there was difficulty in getting a diagnosis for him. And when I did eventually get the diagnosis, it was from a doctor who used to spend six months in Canada and six months in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. and um, And she... She told me that, you know, there's not much she would be able to do, but she didn't give me a very negative perspective, right? In the sense that, you know, uh, a lot of uh, families are told that your life is finished. This is tragic. I mean, I talk to families. So in that sense, I think I was a little bit fortunate. Mm -hmm. She didn't give me a very positive picture, but she didn't give me a negative, overtly negative picture either. But however, despite that, I know I had a really hard time for one month to really come to terms with something that there was no information on. Yes. That is what made it hard because there was no internet. And I was told he has autism. I read one paragraph in a book. That was all I found in in the American library. Uh, And there was no other information. So for that one month till I got a book from the UK... Yeah. That gave me a little bit more information. It's it's very, you know, when you're told that you or your family member, somebody you love has this condition and you haven't a clue what to do about it. I think that in those days were the challenge. But what has been happening now is that um, or later... You know, when I met other families, once I started the organization, I wrote in the newspapers, I met other families and stuff yeah. like that. One of the things I found that was very common was that the vast majority were told that this is a terrible thing that has happened to you. Yeah, This is a horrible thing that your child has. You know, is Go have another child. So, most parents were given an extremely, extremely negative uh, perspective on the diagnosis. That, over the years, has not gone away. Yeah, It's still very much existing. You will find a few doctors here and there who would not say these kinds of negative things. But most, the vast majority, even now, mm-hmm. tell their, the child, the family that they are diagnosing, whose child they are diagnosing, that this is a terrible thing, it's a very thing, it's a very thing life Or, there's the other side. There are medical professionals who will say, something uh, has changed So you have the two extremes happening in the vast majority of cases. I'm not saying everybody does that, mm-hmm. but the ones who gave a realistic presentation Mm -hmm. they are rare even now what most families here are really really negative
0: stuff and it it hasn't changed over the years not particularly no it's a sad thing yeah so you brought up parents and I was thinking about bringing it up later but parents also I think when painted this picture really struggled to find that what can their child do because there's a life ahead of them and some may take extreme measures but you counsel parents and have been for a long time for our listeners i want them to find out what are the most common things they say when you even when you try to tell them that all is not lost like like it's not the end of the road your child is not doomed for you know failure in life in general no it's not just job it's not just studies just complete failure of life he won't be he or she won't be able to function but when you try to you know counsel them and tell them that it's not like that what are the most common things you hear people say or in disbelief or belief?
2: Okay, so I think before getting to that, I must yeah. say that most parents, most Indian families, yes. right, um, they come from a place where disability is a huge stigma. Yeah. Even in this day and age, any form of disability is a huge stigma. Where it is a so-called mental disability, It is a massive stigma so that people don't even talk about things like depression yes how many people talk about depression right so any kind of anything that has to do with the mind is a massive stigma and you know this reminds me um this was before I started Action for Autism. I, I've always volunteered, even in my school years. So when I moved to Delhi, I used to volunteer in an organization. And uh, one of the things they had done was carried out a campaign um, in the newspaper, giving information on disability, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, so I was one of those who used to write, uh, yes. you know, postcards, read the postcards families had sent and respond to them. Yeah. And the commonest thing we would hear is how terrible it was and maybe we looked up the eclipse or maybe I did not follow <laughs> the follow the right <laughs> rules when I was carrying my child and ye the, that is, or my wife had done that or my daughter-in-law had done that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I often tell families is, you know, in that case, all the non-Hindu world should be autistic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because they don't apart from Hindus, nobody follows this eclipse thing, right. Yeah. I don't know if they do, I don't think they do. So the entire world should be autistic or disabled. So um, so you know, that's the perspective families come from, right? And the other thing is that most of the women, the mothers, mm. um, they are living in families, and this is the reality where they are constantly trying to prove that they are not bad that they are not the cause of problems in their child. This is the reality. Because we work very intensively with a lot of families and we are talking a lot of families that are middle class families. Not necessarily, you know, we yeah. people tend to think, you know, the poorer families think like that. No, they don't. It is the middle classes that think like this, right? And people who have money who think like this. So they are constantly trying to prove that they are not terrible people. So when they get a diagnosis, can you imagine the fear in the mother's mind? What is the family going to say about me? Because it's always her fault. Yeah. yeah. So these are the things we keep in mind when we are talking to families, right? So what we tell them, yes, there is a diagnosis. Yes, your child will have certain challenges. But like every human being, your child will learn. So one of the questions they all have, most of them have, one is, wo padhai kar paega, kya Right? And the other one is, shadi, shadi. karega. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, <laughs>
2: and sometimes shadi is the first one. Yes. Sometimes the first one is, wo karega.
0: Indians are obsessed with marriage. Yes.
2: Yeah, totally. And I, I don't get it. And this question often comes from families <laughs> that are miserably unhappy. But they're asking, wo shadi karega. And I'm thinking, can't you see yourselves? Why are you so obsessed about Shadi? I think it's an unthinking belief that this is something you have to do. And you have to produce somebody who will carry on your your amazing bloodline because we are all amazing people and our bloodlines must be continued
0: I don't know bloodline (laughs) thing is very weird (laughs) but (laughs) I I remember the joke so people used to pressure me let me bring my autistic perspective people used to pressure me a lot like you're not gonna have kids because I never wanted to have kids and I used to say like what Am I the last egg of a dinosaur? What's going on? Like, if, if I don't <laughs> exactly. procreate, like, if, if we're gonna go extend? What's going on? But people are obsessed with yes, it, with especially marriage. in India. Yeah. The, the belief, I think, is like marriage sort of culminates into family and negation of responsibility for parents, and there are so many things.
2: But there is one other aspect. There is often the belief, and this is a very common belief that marriage will fix it and this is a this is a thing that has continued for for you know forever even in earlier times you you know about people who had challenges in the family said I
0: have a belief in it but I I don't know how let me just say it I think people are so caged in India gender wise yeah yeah that they think sex would fix it
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah they think and 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 there is no other way to have sex he, he, he or she'll be happy him. yeah
0: so happy that everything would be Everything fixed. Will be okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: i just today i was having a conversation with a client of mine and i was like you can't love away mental health conditions yeah <laughs> so don't expect love to fix everything that's not how it works relationships don't fix everything so, I... so yeah i mean I, I totally agree that there's this I mean, I I just want to add a little bit to what Mary said, that, you know, I I was talking to one of the parents when I was working in the school and I told them that I'm autistic because their child was diagnosed with autistic. And the parents' response to that was that, oh, you're autistic, great. Now I have hope for my child. And I was like, okay, not all autistic people are the same. So I, I had to actually sit with them and talk about it and how we, when we see somebody who's autistic, and they may be masking, we yes. automatically believe that there is hope or not hope for the child, while we don't let them have the space for to to explore who they are in their own ways. Yes. It's so that that becomes a very integral part.
0: So you brought up masking. So let's let's discuss that because that is also one of the important thing people should know about. As a therapist, when you go about talking to, for a, want of a better word, I want to say patients. Okay. Clients. Clients. Yes. So when you talk to your clients, one, if they are on a spectrum or are looking for a diagnosis for ASD, autism, what are their concerns? Because Mary, Mary told us about what parents concerns are more or less, or the questions they put up. But if let's say, even, even though a family is supportive, like let's put aside the family for a minute, what are people's concerns? who may or may not have let's say they have it they suspect they have it what are their concerns what do they tell you and of course masking is a part of it so
1: so I primarily work with a lot of adults Mm -hmm. who are late diagnosed with autism and uh, I think a very big part of it is the first step to any of those conversations is there's a lot of there are a lot of conversations in the therapeutic setup To help them understand what autism is. Mm -hmm. To break that stigma. Because the moment, even if somebody is suspecting, the moment you start speaking about autism, or if I suspect a client is autistic and I start speaking about autism, there's an immediate resistance to it. It is telling of how we view autism in our society. The moment that conversation comes up, there's already a resistance. And where does that resistance come in from? That resistance primarily comes in from what we have seen about autism, heard about autism, witnessed other people with autism. Bollywood. Bollywood, exactly, right? Bollywood is a big part of it. (laughs) Media is a big part of it, right? How we, how autism is represented. Hmm. The next part, even if somebody is, uh, already comes into the sessions, with an idea that they think they are autistic. Mm -hmm. There is such a huge stigma around diagnosis of autism. How do you, like Mary said, that the way we view disability, how do I tell my my workplace that I need, need accommodations? Will they keep me in the job? Will they not keep me in the job? Because that's a very real fear of a lot of people. If I tell my workplace that I'm autistic or I got diagnosed with autism, I know people who have been laid off, maybe not immediately, but a few months later with some random reason. I know people who get rejected in job interviews because they have to declare that they are able. Yes, that is such a real fear for so many people who are living with this condition and probably have to make ends meet. Yeah and who don't always come from the privilege, right? That's a very big aspect. The next thing, I, if I tell my friends, my family, my when I'm going on a date, how do I tell them that I'm autistic? Because they will have like the first thing that most people, most adults who have learned how to mask their autistic traits, who have learned how to hide their autistic traits and fit in, the first thing that we hear is, oh, you don't look autistic. Yeah. How do you then have these conversations in social settings? Yep.
0: Yeah. because uh, uh, when you even in our groups, like on WhatsApp, we have so many like, Anindita yeah. uh, and me are common. When there is someone new or there is a parent, and you mention that you or a child have autism, the, the picture which comes into their head, by default yeah. is sort of a Down syndrome one, mm. yeah. which is a completely different condition. Like it's not we're not deriding that thing. But it's a very different thing. So please go on. You, you wanted to no, say something. I was to just going something. to say
2: that uh, for a lot of people, being autistic means that you flap your hands. Yes. You avoid yeah. eye gaze. You know, the very, that once end of the spectrum kind yes. of. Yes. And therefore, when they see somebody like you are Anindita, oh, they are cured. <laughs> yeah. And that is why the parents said, I have hope. Because they're thinking of cure, you wish, right? Yeah, and and the fact that y'all <laughs> are masking and trying to, you know, uh, try to fit, it, trying to fit into the neurotypical world is something that doesn't occur to them, because they're thinking that you got cured. And the the whole uh, idea of autism is all about this one kind of yes. individual.
0: Yeah, the, the end of the spectrum, which needs a lot of support, support to function. Yes. yes. But it's not the whole one and not even the half of it. Not even the half of it, yeah. So carrying over from Anindita, it it popped into my head. She talked about the clients who, you know, like like I said, Hmm. who wanted to get diagnosed or suspect they are on the spectrum. And they are more worried about their social setting and workplace. Action for autism, you work with children. Hmm. And I think, and we have discussed it earlier also. Parents and their more concern is about learning and education right and I believe at least I assume when you counsel them and when you try to teach them because let me say this for our listeners before Mary brings it up people with autism learn like Mary mentioned earlier but we don't learn in the conventional manner as we taught as we are taught in school and the most simplest example I have been giving for a while now is the alphabets. If, let's say, a normal person learns from, in a sequential manner, A, B, C, D, and till Z, an autistic child may not learn that way. They might jump between the letters. When eventually they will learn, they may take a bit more time or less time.
2: Or they may not learn the, so-called learn the alphabet at all, but be able to read.
0: Yes. So, in your conventional definition, they will not fit into learning. But whenever they do, you will find that they are more apt with it. Hmm. Once they learn with it, so they they absorb the knowledge, but in a different manner. So my question to you was, what are the significant, most significant, or the primary concerns children have, or the problems children face in learning? Because our systems, right. like you are brought not, up, yeah, are not designed for them.
2: Right, right, yes. So like you said, we also work with children. Yeah, and the thing is that, like you said, a lot of children. There there are autistic people who learn in in the way that neurotypical people do, in a very similar way. But there's a whole population who do not learn that way. Yeah. And um, and amongst them, there are people who um, have a lot of difficulty in generalizing their learning. Mm-hmm. So they have learned something, but they're not able to apply it across the board, right? So they may have learned how to read words, but they're not able to find meaning and context in in passages that they're reading. So the teaching has to be, in fact I was talking about that today itself with the National Trust that the teaching has to be very uh, experiential. Because when you make it experiential everybody learns. Your blind student will learn, your autistic student will learn and the neurotypical will learn better. Right? But that is not what happens in our schools. Right? We have the NEP which talks about the same thing again. And And I I am, and maybe I shouldn't be saying it, but I'm a 100% certain nothing is going to come Of it because we have the NEP It says what Should be but it doesn't say how So it's a fancy document That will never get implemented like all Our documents
0: For our listeners NEP is National Education Policy Yes
2: so that's the thing We are not teaching Our children in the way They can learn Yes. We are teaching the way we want to teach And you learn great you don't learn don't
0: This is what you have to learn, not how to learn it. So I'll I'll give a personal example. Hmm. Whenever I'm encountering a new situation or a subject, people sort of figure out on the way and people tell you like, you'll figure out on the way. Mm -hmm. I personally need to know all the things before I'm able to answer even a basic question. And I have had arguments with my, Hmm. with Abhinandan, people with on news laundry would understand. Why can't you answer a simple until I, uh, until unless I know all the things. Related to this situation, I don't know what you're asking. Mm, exactly. Mm. Maybe the answer is somewhere where I don't know.
2: This is what we tell our, our colleagues who work with us. Yeah. That you know, when you're say say when we are we work in employment as well, we put autistic people in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, we have to tell the the company that we are putting them in that you have to speak to them very clearly. Don't don't expect them to you know just assume mm. you know. That oh this is what you meant. Figure out. Figure out things. <laughs> you know you have to give the context. Yeah. Because they'll have difficulty in getting that context, and that is something that often does not happen. People presume. See even in schools. Yeah. When I'm teaching, I have to give the context. I have to keep it clear, and you know the neurotypical world doesn't do that, and that is
1: where the challenge comes. Yeah, I can relate so much to what Shardul said that you know, I'm somebody. I think we were having this conversation in the evening that I'm somebody I need to know the entire context before I can even frame an opinion about it. Yes. And I think what Mary said is so important, right? Like we all learn differently irrespective of neurotypical people, irrespective of uh, uh, neurodivergent folks, right? We all learn differently and our schooling system I don't know what they are following (laughs) it doesn't work for anybody (laughs) I didn't learn anything in school or college I, I was resonating so much to what Mary said that we all learn differently and if there is experiential learning I'm somebody who needs visual cues I'm somebody who needs experiential like you know more kinesthetic things around me to learn yeah and none of that would happen in schools none of that would happen so, it, it, I, I know so many autistic kids and people who have, like adults, who have struggled so much through the education system. And it often uh, makes me think that is it us who are struggling or is it the system that is so skewed that we end up invariably struggling? You know, I have to
2: share, uh, when I was in class, I think five, six, I used to consistently fail math. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then suddenly we got a new teacher. And I topped math. Mm-hmm. Wow! Right at that time, I did not understand what what happened. I am jealous. Now, huh, now I understand, right? What what was happening? And you know, the thing you know, you you made a very important point, Anindita, the fact that you need visuals. Right? This is something most autistic people benefit from. Yes. And because individuals with autism don't look that they are having a challenge. Yeah. Right. Whether you're masking or not, you don't look like you do. There's nothing physical that you can see that says a person has a disability. There is huge, huge, huge resistance to providing the accommodations that autistic people need. This is a point that we make repeatedly. You go to a school, they will happily spend a few lakhs to make ramps. Right. And make other, you know, physical accessibility stuff and all that.
0: Vibrant paint.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Textured pathways, which is wonderful. You should do that. But if you ask them to provide a visual structure to the autistic student on their table, just look at the amount of resistance there is. Why should I be doing this? It doesn't even cost anything. You could even ask the parent to prepare and send it. Yeah, All you have to do as a teacher is put it on the table. But there is massive resistance. And you have the same challenge in the workplace. You have to constantly get at people. See, the same person who will resist trying to provide you the accommodation you need because you're autistic would happily get a software that the blind uh, uh, colleague needs. Happily spend that extra money. No, we should provide this. But when it is for somebody with autism, why can't this person behave himself? Why yeah. can't she, you know, be like everybody else? Why can't this person act normal? The person is autistic. They can't stop being autistic just because you demand it.
0: Yes. And and the structure is a big part of it. And I wanted Absolutely. to come to that. So, one of the most common arguments I have is, look, let me know when are my offs. Yeah. I cannot work without them. I don't want them. I need them. And if I work on an off, I will not be able to compensate. But people in workplaces don't really understand that because yeah. one, yeah. Because th- their minds don't work that way. I, d- I don't blame people on individual basis. But our organizations are structured in a way, at least in my assumption. And that's my question is related to next one. To you, Mary. People with autism need su- structure, structure that supports them. And you and your organization also, as you said, place people at workplaces. Have you seen a change in attitude? Uh, I mean, there would be some because you are mm-hmm. able to place people. But... How do I frame this question? Even when an organization is, you know, able to accept a p- person on the spectrum in their jobs, how much is the scale of that, you know, in corporate space or in institutional spaces? How much is the change coming? And second, are people able to cope with uh, the work, the workplace itself? Because I remember one person, I forgot the name, uh, when we had our summit, who used to work at the hotel, and they said that, uh, to work with him the the one who plays music I've, I'm so sorry I forgot his name
2: plays music Advitya
0: yes I think so huh? so they remember that they have to praise him every day otherwise he'll get insecure and will not be able to play piano in the hotel my point is how amenable are organizations to people with autism and even when they are are people with autism able to work there consistently
2: autistic people can work at jobs that fit their interests and their abilities just like everybody else. Yeah. So the important thing is to, when we are looking for placements, looking at stuff that would appeal to the person that is of their interest. Mm-hmm. Of course, many of us sometimes work at jobs that we don't really like because we have to earn money. Right, that is there. And there are some autistic people who do that as well. Right, uh, <laughs> but I have to say that we are working with a population who are, I would not say, uh, are as independent and as able to mask as you are, Anandita. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we work with people who are not masking as much. Right. Yeah. They are intelligent. Yeah. They are capable, but they are not masking. Yeah. Right. So we are working with people like that. We find them jobs that fit them. We work with the companies we talk to them helping them understand mm-hmm. uh, with all the colleagues that they'll be working with as well as the management and i have to say that it has been it's very slow yes but the change is happening it's it's very very slow mm-hmm. but you know from nothing happening to this change and for instance so there's this one company that we've been working with for quite some time and we have um we we've done you know sensitization etc etc and they're getting it so now recently when one of the young people working with them was having problems we could tell them that it is what your people are doing that's leading to the problem and they listened and that was the wonderful thing
0: listening is a big yes
2: yeah, so they listened. we could tell them and they have somebody you know heading the whole thing who's who wants to really make an you mm-hmm. know make a make a change so they listened So, you know, for us, that was very exciting that people are listening. So change is slow, but it is happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, it will take time. And and the main reason why it will take time is because also there are people who are not masking. And even though there are people who are not masking, there is always this thinking, just he can do yes. everything he just isn't doing it so we have to constantly tell them their minds are different their brains are differently wired yeah and you have to understand that you don't have to say that about somebody who's say on a wheelchair yes or somebody who's yeah. hearing impaired because people yeah. get it they struggle to get this and till we can get this across to people that this these are minds that are wired differently yep till that happens we will
0: keep struggling but i
2: I'm, I'm, i think that will happen eventually i think
0: the change is it's coming it's beginning to I think happen go.
2: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> I, look before i go to uh, anindita i would i would have to say like we also struggle with human condition like yeah. like like some people just won't care yeah absolutely
2: and like absolutely. there are so
0: some people would say like there are bigger problems in this world like true. which which is true. which is absolutely. true enough like,
2: absolutely <laughs> like, yeah. like hunger
0: is a big problem no, I, I, and I, I, I do I keep telling demand.
2: people you know there are this poverty is so huge in our country so you have to keep in mind that for a lot of people one autistic person versus all those people who are below the poverty line yeah. is a bigger deal yeah so we have to find that balance
0: you work in autism field overseas too right uh, right so our people in india especially averse to the autistic being people with autism or is it all over the world or there are degrees to it i mean there would be but i'm trying to understand that is it our people who are so averse to this to even (laughs) accepting that we exist and (laughs) we can exist we just need our (laughs) space or it's all over the world
2: i would say that there are many countries in the world where there is much greater acceptance than we have mm-hmm. um, in much of Western Europe, I would say. In parts of the US, I would say, I wouldn't say everywhere, yeah. but much of the US, there are parts of US that are terrible, of course. It's a large country. Alabama, yes. uh, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> and then there are, you know, many countries, say in in other, you know, developing countries, there are yeah. there are challenges. But you know, I think there is a. Uh, in our country, one of the difficulties I, I feel, you know, mm-hmm. is that, and from my experience, I'm not a young person. I'm, I'm pretty old, so I've lived a long time. So, we really have a lot of difficulty in accepting anyone who's different. That's really a part of our culture. And let's be honest about it. I mean, I grew up in a school that constantly talked about the beauty of unity and diversity. It was (laughs) dinned into our heads from the time I was little. But, you know, once I was older, I realized that there is so much reluctance to accept anyone who's different. I mean, I've seen people, you know, this, this young lady who got kicked out of Oxford, not Oxford, who was the elected to the Oxford Student Union and got yeah, kicked recently out last year and, various, and yes. claimed it was because she was a Hindu, which is a load of rubbish. <laughs> it is because she called Mal- Malays ching-changs oh and she said terrible things about people in the Holocaust. That is the reason why she was kicked out. And this thing of saying ching-chang, she's an educated person whose parents had the money to send her to Oxford. Yes. right? And in India, even now... You will have people who will say things about people, and I'm, you know, like part from Assam, and the whole Northeast. Yes, you yeah. will have people making all kinds of comments. You will have people saying "itna kala hai" to somebody from the south. Yes, as if yeah. we are, you know, spotlessly white, all all, you know, Caucasian people see us as brown people. But amongst us, we have many shades. And we are constantly trying to get one shade lighter and looking down at the ones who are darker. We look down at people who are from a depressed class, caste. Yeah. Right? We will not touch or eat from them. So I know people who, in Delhi, educated people, who will not eat from the same plate as somebody who they suspect is a Dalit. Yeah. 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 So I'm so glad that you brought it up. Yeah. So we are a highly discriminatory people, <laughs> despite all the beautiful things we say. Yeah. So somebody who's so different, right, who, you know, is, is, who, who understands the world differently, who looks different. And a lot of autistic people look like because they're flapping and stuff yeah. like that. They will look, people with Down syndrome, they will laugh at them. Yeah. They laugh at people who have cerebral palsy and have spasticity. Yeah. yeah. They actually laugh at them, right? They make fun of them, so that's the kind of country we are. So, you know, and I know there are other countries that do a lot of things. Yeah. But I, I find it sad that we are a country who have moved up the developmental scale. Yes. But this we have carried with us even now.
0: Indian people are quite resistant to any change.
2: Any change and diversity. We cannot accept diversity. Yeah. We see anybody's who's different, we will judge.
0: Yeah. Well, you That's talk about skin color and all the people yeah. people would object to your style of moustache and beard. <laughs> why do you have a beard? Why? <laughs> I, uh. I I don't know. But people do say that. Uh. Why do you have a beard? Shave. Or why are you wearing a let's say a baggy clothes? Dress properly. Yeah. But okay. th- this is our yeah, country.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I wanted to know if other countries are like that, but they the more or less Yeah more or less they are like people are Uh, people there are
2: a few countries that are like this there are countries that are a bit like us Mm -hmm. but there are lots of other countries that are very inclusive
0: Mm -hmm. before we leave and I'll ask Anandita a couple of questions because I know you have to go anything you want to tell our listeners with respect to people on the spectrum if they encounter one if they have one in a family if they find out they or their child or their brother sister anyone what are the couple of things they should have in mind? One, they're people just like everybody else. Yeah.
2: Just be understanding, open, just the way you would be understanding with somebody who, you know, has any other kind of a disability, right? Uh, just because you cannot see the disability does not make them a bad person when they do the things that they do. Yeah. So, and understand that, you know, just like you have a good life, they have a right to a good life as well. They have a right to everything. That any citizen of India does. So that's something we have to keep in mind because that is something that people often feel. Uh, in fact I have to mention this today. I was on an interview panel today mm-hmm. and there was somebody, one of the people we interviewed is somebody who works with disability. Mm-hmm. And he said, toh, uh, mask ke hai, like a piece of flesh. Yeah. It's not a Talking about people with disabilities. Yeah change that Yeh mas nahi hai Ye insan hai that is all i would tell people because the minute we look at other people as insan we can change our,
0: the way we are yep so aninita so,
1: i want to add something yeah, yeah, yeah please, you
0: go please do please do
1: i think there are two things that really really i i wanted to i mean i i really wanted to i'm glad that mary brought up the part where we were talking about othering as a society yes, yes yes we have still somewhere made sense of the fact that there is a me and there is a you right and we can be an us right through marriage through religion through different institutions we can somewhere be an us yeah but we haven't been able to make sense of the fact that us and they are still the same thing yeah <laughs> yeah i am yeah. us and there is another person who may not be the of be following the same institution in some way but they are still the same people like we are all people and that's the part like i think when we start looking at that right we will also build our own space that is more inclusive of other people's experiences yeah right? whether it be caste religion whether it be your uh, whether it be neurotypicality neurodivergence mental health conditions disabilities these are all othering right we are always like oh I don't need to think about it. Yes. I don't need to feel anything about it. The other aspect, right, that really, really, Shardul, you asked about inclusion at work, right? Yeah. I feel like one of the things that, at least from the bigger organization perspective and the clients that I work on one on one, DEI often ends up being a marketing gimmick on on the website. Oh, yes. Oh,
2: yes. But I (laughs) can tell you that we have
1: Everybody's well, it, doing DI, <laughs> exactly right. It and the kind of things that I see on LinkedIn that people who are running these DI programs are talking about, like get over your disability. They have become better with the DI inclusion, and I'm like, where are like, how is this inclusion if we are expecting the person to get over their disability in some way? Yeah, with autism particularly. I think one of the things that is hardest for people to wrap their heads around is that our support needs are also on a spectrum. Right.
2: <laughs> yes. Absolutely,
1: very well said. While autism is different for different people, somebody who may show up as a as low support need may need very high support at a with light sensitivities and they are not able to make sense of it that how are how am I going to provide you this support and someone else some other support? it that they need yeah so which is where i feel like DI is really lacking because we are using it as a marketing gimmick rather than actually understanding what disabled folks need especially the ones living with invisible disabilities
0: yep and one thing which has come up again and again in our conversation is masking masking is a tool for autistic people like me and Anandita. what we do is we learn to fit in with neurotypicals with quote unquote normal people so that we can hide we are autistic or we have disabilities
1: yeah. like one example of that I can give is I'm not somebody who generally smiles but in social situations I have a very particular smile that I will show <laughs> <laughs> that's masking I'm actually not somebody who will smile otherwise so like that that's how we figure out certain things that may make us may make us, and I'm using air quotes, yeah. Yeah. palatable to the rest of the world, Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, Because if you're not masking,
2: then very often you get discriminated against. Yes. That's do. the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It provides a sense of safety, right? That, okay, I'm not going to be othered in this space, or I'm not going to be left out.
0: Thank you for the conversation, Anindita, Mary. Thank you for coming and hope to meet you guys soon. Thank See you. Ya. This was, this Thank was you so fun. Much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Let me just admit, this conversation was not able to get to all aspects of an autistic life. The time simply wasn't enough. Like the concept of information dump. When you talk to an autistic person, most people find it strange, but that's how autistic people show they care. But I hope... This episode was able to give a window into an autistic mind and help you understand. We want to thank Shobita, Abhishek, Preeti, Shamona, Priyankar, Maninder, Tahseen Chetri and Aarti for their letters and I assure you, your feedback has been noted. I will personally respond to all of you via mail. As always, you'll find the links to some avenues for help below the show notes. We'll be back with the second season of Mind Ki Baat with many other aspects of mental health and well-being. Till then, if you need help, reach out to someone you know and trust. If you are hesitant to talk to someone in your life, then you can contact the sources we have left in show notes. And remember, we are here for you. If you like the content we make, Then subscribe to News Laundry and pay to keep news free. This podcast was supported by Google News Initiatives News Equity Fund. News Laundry is
2: possible because of our paying subscribers. We don't run corporate or government ads. You too can be part of changing the news model. Go to newslaundry.com slash subscription. Be a part of the community that pays to keep news independent. For the smoothest news laundry experience, download our app. Watch our shows, listen to our podcasts, read our reports. Stay informed. Pay for news, protect democracy,
0: save the world.